You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. We're joined today by Asmik Arutunian, Shelby Magid, and Alexandra Matvichuk. Asmik is a senior program specialist with the Center for Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Shelby is the associate director at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center, where she helps lead their Ukraine work. Alexandra is a human rights lawyer and a chairperson of the Center for Civil Liberties in Ukraine, joining us today from Kyiv. Uh, thank you, Alexandra, for joining us, even under these incredibly difficult circumstances. This series as a whole is meant to underscore the importance of protecting and facilitating women's meaningful inclusion and peacebuilding, and this third session, as we've said, focuses on Ukraine. Let me turn the space over to Azmik, Shelby, and Alexandra, starting first with Alexandra, because uh, we may lose her connection at any point since she is coming to us from Kyiv. Alexandra? Thank you very much for providing me a floor. Uh, I will, I will uh, tell uh, about the situation from the human rights perspective, but first of all, I will start from sharing with you my feelings as a human being. Uh, because uh, not only me, maybe a lot of Ukrainians now completely lost in time. We don't know what is a day today is, a, is, but we realized only that this is a seven days of war. It's a seven days from that moment when Putin started a new armed aggression towards Ukraine, parallel on different directions, and, there, and now it's very hard to find a safe place in Ukraine for civilians. Uh, for all last nights, we spent um, our nights in bomb shelters because Russians shellings uh, on Kiev and as well in other cities. And only uh, last night was more or less calm. And we have a street battles in Kiev. And I frankly speaking, uh, when I heard from my colleague that she, she couldn't stand from tears when she see how the Kiev is destroyed. Uh, but uh, my, I will stop, uh, I, I will uh, state that um, even a lot of Ukrainians um, and, and people from Kiev try to evacuate, a lot of people stay and we have no fear because we are fighting for our country, we are fighting for our dignity, we are fighting for our freedom and we are fighting for the values of free world. Um, second part, what I want to um, to stop uh, and tell you about is uh, war crimes which Russians uh, conducted during these uh, seven days. Because we restore our initiative Yevromaidan SOS, which we created during the Revolution of Dignity, and one of the direction of this initiative is documentation of war crimes. What we see, uh, we can clearly state that Russia used war crimes as a technology of conducting war. And I will provide you several examples. Uh, now there are very um, spread the attacks to civilian objects. Uh, it's going on from the whole country, but the most suffered are city Kharkiv, Chernigiv, uh, Kyiv, Mariupol. Uh, the civilian objects in, this, in these cities a majority of them are from some military objects. So we can say that it's deliberate policy to target civilian objects in order to provide more loss for civilians and to provoke panic. Uh, 
among them. Also, we documented that uh, such attack to civilian object with specific security, like kindergarten, schools, uh, hospitals, children hospitals at all. Also, uh, we documented uh, different cases of perfidy. The Russians used uh, to pretend that they are civilians and they uh, and when they come closer to Ukrainian army or to territorial defense, they kill them. Or they tr try to use a civilian object uh, for perfidy. And we have uh, documented uh, one case when Russians used uh, the ambulance car in Kiev in order to, to, to move on the city. Um, it's a violation of international humanitarian law uh, and uh, as well um, as they used uh, to, um, to wear uniform of Ukrainian army in order to, to reach their military goals, which is prohibited. Uh, another kind of war crimes is attack to medical personnel. Uh, we don't know the scope because, it's, as I told, the war is going in a different direction, but only our volunteers and our colleagues documented at least uh, uh, three uh, such kind of cases of deliberate attack to medics who, who want to provide uh, assistance to injured people. And uh, for conclusion to this part, I must, must to say that um, if we really don't understand if Russia states that it's powerful, she has a powerful army, we don't understand why she used war crimes as a uh, tool of conducting this war. And it's a problem because uh, intense of these uh, war crimes is began more and more through days to days. And last, what I want to stop is what international community can do in this regard. Uh, uh, we, I will, first, we need proactive action from Western democracies and with, fr from all countries over the world. Uh, it's not enough to impose sanctions against Putin and Russia. It's, uh, we need such kind of sanctions which can stop Putin. Uh, we need ban not only of three uh, Russian banks of SWIFT, but we need ban of all Russian banks and Belarusian banks of SWIFT. We need countries to frozen all Russian assets of Russian oligarchs. Who, which use them for, to make the Putin's regime stressant. We need a shelter from the sky because Ukrainian cities are bomb, bombed, uh, shelling uh, from the rockets. Uh, so there are a lot of which has to be done now because we have no time and we will resist, but we will need, uh, really need uh, international support. Uh, second, there are a huge humanitarian crisis now in Ukraine and uh, UN Commissioner of Refugees uh, told that uh, at least five, uh, half, half a million people leave uh, Ukraine uh, to abroad. Um, the general problem is that evacuation is not organized uh, could and couldn't organized centralized and people try to escape there by cars or by trains but there are very small possibilities for them to do it uh, because of bad logistics. Now the snow is going in, uh, in uh, Kiev and uh, people who, are, who, who become frozen 
and um, no evacuation from hospital or sociological institution or prison is not uh, is not uh, provided and have, they have problem with foods with medical care with uh, heating etc and uh, a lot of uh, maybe dozens of uh, cities which is uh, in the zone of war um, we could uh, couldn't be reached and people now in basement without water food and medicine and have no care to injured people because when uh, somebody tried to reach them russians started fire for any uh, civilian uh, movement uh, and um, this is also has to be uh, the the like uh, issue for international organization to uh, help people in need i will stop here thank you thank you alexandra um, I want to start um, by, first of all, thanking you for joining us, especially given the circumstances and for your powerful um, opening of this conversation. Um, I also want to ask um, to talk a little bit more. I know you've been posting a lot on your on your feed, uh, these stories that every single person, uh, no matter where they are around the world, can relate to these personal stories. Could you please share a few um, for example, I know there was a there was a um, there was a woman who experienced uh, you know staying in a shelter from bombings uh, twice in her life. Could you please share a few of those stories with us? Maybe you mean the the, the story about the mother of my colleague Andrei Strannikov. He yes. is a local deputy of Kiev, and his mother is more than eighty years old, and he wrote a post with the photo and told that he, his mother has to evacuate twice in her life. The first, uh, li uh, the first part uh, time was when she was six and she has to evacuate because of Nazi, Nazi intervention. And now when, they, when she has more than eight, eight, 86, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because we have Russian intervention. Um, so this is a story, and I, I don't write it in the post, but Andrei Strannikov, a local deputy, joined to territorial defense. That's why in his photo he is with arms. And now a lot of people, without any uh, military um, preparation, the whole families have to join to territorial defense because we need to protect our cities from Russians. Thank you, Alexandra. Um... I want to switch the focus on women, what it's like. For, I know we are seeing images of women joining the forces. Uh, we are also uh, seeing women um, expecting mothers moving to basements to give birth to their children. Um, could you please share a few stories from what you are seeing? How is this, how is this conflict affecting women, um, girls, and, and how are they coping with it? Um, it's affect everybody and women as well, especially women uh, which have some special states like uh, small children because men have to leave the family and to, to join to territorial defense or to do other things. And we know story because we as the Euromaidan SOS also has a, a direction of work to provide, um, to coordinate the assistance between, uh, to be like a bridge between people who, who have some needs and, and initiatives who provides uh, these needs. And we got uh, one uh, like um, 
apply when uh, when women with a young uh, very small baby uh, could uh, couldn't find the special feed uh, for her baby and nobody can help you because her husband has to go to to the war and we work with such kind of uh, uh, request and also um, it's my i don't know now any uh, cases and i but I don't know what will be in future because uh, I documented war crimes for eight years already and I know how behavior Russia towards women, not only women, but uh, when they occupied territories. And um, during the war in the Donbass, I documented a lot of cases of sexual uh, sexual harassment and uh, sexual violence uh, against women and men, but women, the case of women are much more bigger so I don't know for current moment any kind of case, but uh, it's very easy to predict if Russians will stay. Thank you, Alexandra. This is Shelby, and I'd like to just jump in with a question. Um, I'm glad to hear you talking about the effort to, to document crimes. And I've, I've had a lot of people ask me if there's anything the public can do to help either abroad or in Ukraine? Are there different initiatives that people can join in on documenting some of these crimes as efforts move forward with charges? Alexandra, are you still there? Oh, please repeat, I had bad connection and lost to you this question. Please repeat. Um, Shelby was asking about um, if you could share of some efforts that regular people can take to document these war crimes, uh, uh, maybe an email address or or a website that um, they could turn to to report these crimes. We have uh, several chatbots uh, for ordinary people, uh, which uh, who make uh, now. Um, hundreds of photos and videos to send these photos and videos to us. Also, we organize uh, today the first trainings for ordinary people how to speak with uh, with victims of uh, human rights violations. Uh, and because it's not prepared people, we choose the only uh, such kind of crimes as a deliberate attack to civil objects. And now we will start uh, to uh, interview uh, a lot of people in different parts of Ukraine and to bring their testimony, to, 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 to write down their testimonies. Uh, so, uh, but I think that if you're abroad and want also to, um, to help, uh, you, can, uh, you can find such possibilities. Uh, maybe I will publish the information in my Twitter uh, about how it can, can be done and for whom uh, if you find some information in open sources, uh, where you can sh um, send uh, this information. Yes, that will be great. Because um, I think we we may see some in Telegram channels or our listeners um, that can help the efforts of document uh, war crimes, which I think often in conflict zones during the war uh, go uh, it's really hard to focus on documenting this because everyone is focused on uh, sort of survival. I mean, everybody's focused on just uh, either either living like many refugees did. Um, I believe the UN is reporting that today, as of today, uh, the number is really clo cl getting close to 700,000 documented refugees. Um, so it, it could be really, really difficult to, um, to, to sort of 
stop, think, and document what's happening. So that will be really helpful if you could publish something on your page and our listeners uh, can follow, stay tuned, and um, take actions when they notice something. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share about um, what's happening? What are you seeing? What are you seeing in the news that is not really covered uh, as much as it should be? I'm only afraid that uh, our war like not our war because war is very awful thing it's not normal it's violation not only law, uh, law norms but moral norms i'm afraid that situation uh, become like like uh, uh, in our informational world like entertainment for for people um, and that's why i would like to stress that that now real ukrainians died real people are suffered so it's not movie it's not photos it's not videos it's our lives and and now in the struggle uh, we are defend not only our country and our freedom we defend a values of free world and i'm hope that free world will not stay only like observer um i know in the beginning you mentioned a few actions that um you know, so-called, I mean, observers can take. Um, is there anything else, any organizations that uh, we can engage with that are on the ground, that you see on the ground that uh, our listeners can support? There are, you can easily Google uh, different uh, uh, links uh, which have like a list of humanitarian or other initiatives which you can support it, which you can donate. But I think that money is very important, but it's not the first thing. The first thing for us is time. We need time to to survive and to resist. And we need proactive action. Uh, and Putin uh, will have uh, to feel the price of, of this war. And as quicker as uh, these sanctions and proactive action will be introduced, as much human lives in Ukraine will be saved. I could just jump in here too. I'm I'm glad you said that, Alexandra, about this is getting so much attention and I've been really happy to see so many people that honestly I'm not sure Ukraine was on their radar until recently. They're they're paying attention. Uh, there needs to be a lot of pressure on policymakers, everyone around the world. I do think it's important as well that people as they pressure their policymakers, they also you know, use their pocketbooks to act while they can. I understand the need for time, but the the average person, if I'm talking to people in the U.S. right now, you can donate five dollars. I see a lot of people posting support for Ukraine. That's amazing. We appreciate it. You can applaud the bravery, but also there's so many different organizations to give some money to. You spoke about the refugees. I, I also want to bring attention to the internally displaced people. There's a rising number of people in Ukraine that are fleeing to the West, going to other cities. There's also people that can't leave where they are. And that tends to be the most vulnerable people. That's women, that's children, that's the elderly. We've been paying attention for years to the elderly, especially along the contact line, that they were dependent on aid. They couldn't leave. And so I, I've been reading and hearing concern about getting them aid right now. They need food, they need water, they, they need electricity. 
So that's there's so much to pay attention to. And we see images flooding the news right now of people at the border. That's important, but it's not the full picture. I know you know that, but I always want to remind our broader audience of that as well. I also want to um, bring in this, this uh, in addition to what has been said, I also want to bring the attention to the fact that um, this war that has been waged by Putin, um, he's, now, he's now fighting on several fronts. He's not just fighting Ukraine right now. He's fighting women in his own country. Um, and I know there is a union of mothers, Sayuz Matirei, which has been, um, which has been formed um, right at the beginning of the war, which united the Ukrainian uh, mothers, uh, mothers from Russia and mothers from Belarus. And they have been taking actions. They have been helping each other. Ukrainian mothers have been posting um, very emotional pleas to mothers in Belarus and in Russia not to send their sons to fight in Ukraine. Um, and these women are putting themselves in, in great danger in Putin's Russia. We have seen reports, um, Ovid, uh, Ovid Info, which is, which is a website, which is an organization in Russia that um, sort of provides legal help to protesters, um, has been publishing numbers that are rising in terms of protests that are taking place um, in Russia. Mostly these protests are organized by women, uh, which means they're also arrested, which also means that uh, families that depend on them uh, are also affected. So this this uh, has a ripple effect in, in all three countries. Um, and I also want to uh, bring the attention to another campaign that has been launched by uh, this Union of Mothers. Uh, beside the, the helping each other and Ukrainian mothers uh, asking uh, Russians and Belarusians to, to do everything they can to stop the war. Um, um, I know there is a march in plans that uh, we may, we, I hope uh, everybody sees uh, all mothers uh, pouring out on the streets and uh, showing that they're against this war. Um, I also want to bring this atten uh, the attention to uh, to this campaign that has been launched by this or by this grassroots organization, um, and it's and and they follow the the tag. Uh, the tagline is, "Если бы мужчины знали, как тяжело принести жизнь в эту жизнь, они бы никогда не начинали войны." which translates as, if men knew how difficult it is to bring life into this world, they would never start wars. Um, so women from all three countries have been posting pictures uh, from when they were pregnant with this tagline and uh, sort of gaining momentum and gaining this solidarity in all three countries. Um, I also know that I've also seen the reports of uh, Ukrainians uh, publishing the information about uh, fallen Russian soldiers, captures, uh, Russian so captured uh, Russian soldiers, um, which has been shut down. That website has been shut down uh, to be accessed from Moscow as of Sunday. But this Union of Mothers, Sayuz uh, Matirei, um, they have been trying to get the information from Ukrainians to uh, women in Russia and in Belarus to show that the conscripts that they thought were going to exercises within Russia have been thrown over to Ukraine. Um, so that's uh, that's it's a huge uh, part of this war that is uh, that is not highlighted as much as it should be because again these women are taking great risk. Um, Alexandra, I know you posted recently a picture of 
children being arrested along with their mothers when they were they were taking flowers to the Ukrainian embassy in Moscow and the children were holding signs Nyet Vainye, uh, no to war and um and then next thing we know we see pictures of them um at the police stations along with their mothers um at this point, um, I want to bring you back in, Alexandra. Is there anything else that comes to mind? While we have you, I want you to share a few more points that you want to share with, with the audience. Maybe I, I will repeat that. Uh, Russia and Putin himself think that uh, Ukraine will fail after one day, even less. Uh, they published uh, a statement that how much that they need like uh, four hours when they will appear in Ukrainian border in order to occupy Kiev. But Ukraine, Ukrainians for seven days already resist. And we, today we got in only official information that two thousands of civilians were killed, among them women, men and children. And if we will not do something to stop it, to stop this crazy plan of Putin, I think he will not stop on Ukraine. He will go further. Alexander, are you there? I think we, we lost connection with you. While we wait for her to come back, maybe I'll just jump in to say that if the listeners want to ask our speakers some questions, they should send us a direct message on uh, Twitter or reply in the tweet thread for this space. And... Uh, we did, well, we see if her connection comes back. We did have one question so far already, uh, which is about the way that conflict and war always shifts the gender dynamics in the society. Um, maybe we could ask the three of you to talk about some of the advances that were happening in gender equality and women's participation in Ukraine before this conflict, and then how this is now going to be experienced differently by people of different genders, and uh, what might be the impact of that. Thanks. Alexander, are you back with us? Yes, sorry, I lost connection temporarily. I'm here. Okay, great. We were just asking a question from the audience about uh, what the situation was for women peace builders and human rights defenders and gender equality in Ukraine before the war, what the, how, what the trends were, which I know that you have worked on a lot, uh, but then also how this conflict is, might shift gender dynamics in Ukraine now and what might be the impact of that? Obviously, we don't know where the war is going to go, but we know that this is dramatically going to change relationships between men and women, boys and girls in this society. Uh, eight years ago, we lived in autocracy, and people started revolution of dignity because they want to live in country where rights of everybody are protected, where uh, court is independent, where power and, and authorities are not corrupt and uh, responsible for accountable uh, before people and where police uh, uh, don't beat a peaceful student demonstration. And we paid a rather high price for it because at the end of Revolution of Dignity, police uh, uh, sh got shutting down more than 100 unarmed protesters in the center of Kiev. Then our former president, um, Yanukovych uh, uh, escaped to Russia and, in, and we obtained a chance to provide demo quick democratic transformation. And in order to stop us on this way, uh, Putin started um, the hybrid war in the Donbas and occupied Crimea. Putin is not afraid of NATO, he is afraid of uh, 
ideal freedom, which become more closer to the borders of Russia. And this is explanation that we still for this eight years have a task to rebuild country on democratic way. Uh, we have a lot of problems uh, with human rights uh, with, uh, be uh, because we have still not uh, efficient state institutions. But we have a chance and we work on it for the all eight years. Uh, and, and we had uh, first successes, in very, which is very important for Ukrainian people. Uh, so um, it's just, I'm trying to, um, to provide you a broader picture, not to say very simple, yes, we have a problem with human rights in Ukrainian controlled part before the, this new invasion was started, because it's very um, obvious that when nation is in transit, uh, we, we will have these problems and we will overcome it when we succeed with our home task uh, to build uh, efficient democratic institutions. And one of these problems was uh, gender equality. But from year to year, you can take uh, uh, Freedom House reports or in other reports, we have a success, a small step on the way of success uh, uh, to improve the, the situation with gender equality. And in this war, you can see that women take part very actively in different sphere, in humanitarian sphere, in sphere to provide um, care on injured people. A lot of women are in Ukrainian army in territorial defense, uh, do uh, everybody of us try to find our way how to be efficient in this situation? If I could jump in there, I, I'm glad that you go back and, and frame this, that this conflict has been going on more than the past week, Alexandra. I've been really privileged to spend a good amount of time in Ukraine uh, with the Atlantic Council and most recently was actually there a month ago on a trip uh, delegation led by the Atlantic Council and with USIP's Ambassador Bill Taylor, uh, along with other retired um, diplomats and military officials. And something that has always impressed me in Ukraine is women's participation in so many parts of society, finance, journalism, activism, military. This is not new. Women have been in the military and seeing a lot of applause of seeing, you know, a, beautiful women with their nails painted holding guns, that, that didn't start this week. Women have been knowing that they need to be a part of the fight to help defend Ukraine against Russian aggression since 2014. And I think we need to always remember that this is not a new fight, though I do see that the numbers have gone up of women in the Ukrainian armed forces. I know a couple of years ago it changed that women could start uh, being in combat roles. They could also start studying at military colleges to achieve higher ranks. So we are seeing changes there. I'm sorry, I lose the last point. Uh, I lose the exactly question. Please repeat. No question. Just, just continuing to applaud the women of Ukraine for being a part of this fight to defend Ukraine, not just in the past week, but since 2014 and before. And... Uh, I want to always highlight them. So if there's anyone else that you want to highlight, we, we've talked about human rights activists, we've talked about the military. Uh, are there any other areas that you think we should focus on? Maybe I will add to this point, and I totally agree with you, Shelby, that um, there is something which Putin uh, don't understand and which uh, West uh, uh, not uh, is underestimated. 
because in, when we speak about well-developed countries, uh, the people in these countries have a privilege to live in um, in conditions with a well and effective functioning state institutions. We in Ukraine have never have such privilege. That's why we rely upon on our own forces. And now a point of crystallization appeared in like hundreds and hundreds of points of crystallization appeared in different sphere, uh, like uh, thousands of initiatives uh, emerged and started to unite people. And this is like a huge wave of solidarity. I never, never wish anybody to go through what we are going through now, but this dramatic time provides us an opportunity to express our the best feature to be better than we are. And for sure, women in this battle are, are like a forefront also. Thank you, Alexandra. Um, Stephen, do we have any more questions? Um... Yeah, one of our listeners listening from uh, the Republic of Kosovo wanted to highlight a new government program there to offer 20 female journalists uh, an ex full expenses paid and work remotely admission to Kosovo. And she's uh, asking for help identifying those journalists. And I can put the link for that in the space uh, along with her handle. So if you have suggestions for that, uh, please get in touch with her. Great, thank you. Um, I also want to, you know, I, I saw this this morning and I want to bring the attention to that. We have talked about women, we have talked about human rights, and Stephen brought the attention about, uh, to the journalists. Um, I want, I saw this this morning, it was posted by CBS on their, uh, CBS News on their Twitter feed, and I, I couldn't help but, um, you know, stop and think about, um, the war within war that is not really uh, covered as much, um, and that's the LGBTQ plus um, community. Uh, what it's like for them to uh, to be caught up in this war. Um, I, I've just. Um, I, I hope we can share the the link to that short article with a, with a short video. That you know when. When transgender um, youth is trying to flee as refugees, they can't really because they, when they approach the the border guards, if it says male on their um, on their transport uh, on their passport, sorry, um, then they have less chances of uh, of exiting uh, because they look different to the border guards. So I think that's that's one thing that. Uh, is really important to to bring in and to highlight the populations, the minorities that are caught up, uh, and, and the war within this war that also needs to be highlighted as as another emergency um, that the humanitarian organizations need to pay attention to and and make ways for for these people to these communities to um, to move to safety. I'm I'm so glad you raised that, Asmika. I'd also like to add that in other groups that we need to pay attention to, um, people with disabilities. Uh, they, they're very vulnerable here of, of not necessarily being able to flee. We spoke earl earlier about the elderly, that, that also applies to them. And I know there's a lot of organizations that are working on that. Uh, 
So we just heard from Alexander that she she has to go right now. Um, there's no alarm, so I just want to uh, uh, make everybody uh, sort of. Uh, I don't want anybody to worry. There's no alarm right now, but uh, she has to go. Um, Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I think I could jump in. Actually, just just noting that Alexandra had to leave shows how much women are dealing with right now. All Ukrainians are dealing with so much. Ukrainians in Ukraine, those that have fled, also the diaspora communities, those that are worried about their family abroad. But we do know in conflicts, and this is not unique to Ukraine, that women tend to to bear a disproportionate, disproportionate amount of this. So um, for those that are, are refugees right now or IDPs, I was talking to Viktor Lyov this morning, who, who runs a Ukrainian NGO, and he was saying that because men 18 to 60 right now cannot leave Ukraine, some of them are taking their families to other parts of Ukraine or getting them to the border for them to leave, and then they're leaving them. So you're seeing women, sometimes with children, sometimes with elderly, that they now are trying to organize everything. They're trying to get food, shelter. They also, schools are closed. They, they are dealing with so much. Um, that's not even to go into the women that are, are volunteering to defend, but there's there's just so much that women have to cover, and that's why I do think it's important to continue uh, pooling our resources and helping them where we can. There's not enough social infrastructure right now in Ukraine or on the, in those borders or in other countries, so we need to continue to build that out and help them. I know that we have to wrap up soon because I know both of you have other commitments to get to uh, this morning, but I wonder if there's any final thoughts that you wanted to share before we wrap up. Uh, Shelby, I know that Atlanta Council is hosting an event maybe you wanted to mention. Sure, thank you. So I'll, I'll take the opportunity to just say that I'm, I'm so grateful to join this. I'm glad of all the global attention on Ukraine right now. Uh, at the Atlantic Council, we have been focused on Ukraine since before the past week and even uh, you know, building that over the past uh, eight years. But I'd like us to ask everyone to pay attention to our Ukraine work. We also focus on Belarus and other countries in the neighborhood, which are important. Um, we're also building out our, our work on women and gender. There's a great event that some of my colleagues have put together on March 8th, so for International Women's Day, which is mainstreaming gender insecurity, and they'll be joined by the Swedish Minister of Foreign Affairs, and Linda. And so we, I think if we could drop a link to that, and we're hoping to do more in this space as well. Thank you, Shelby. And thank you everyone to, who joined us. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.